Uh, we stand to honor the word of the Lord. And so um, I would love to just read our scripture for today. It's Isaiah 12. It says, starting in verse 1, In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away, and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In that day, you will say, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name, make known among the nations what he has done, and proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You can sit. You can sit if you'd like. Good morning. I've never used a microphone before. This is my first time, so thank you. Uh, good morning. My name is Brooke. I'm so happy to see you this morning. Uh, and I want to say Merry Christmas, Riverbend. Can I just say that? Thank you. Thank you for responding. 8 a.m. Someone told me at the 8 a.m. that they used the 8 a.m. gathering to wake up, which I was like, either that's a great compliment or they're the worst. I can't figure out what it is yet. But I love this time of year, uh, as many of you do. Uh, and this season always forces more parties more food, more dancing, even though I can't dance, and more gifts, and I like all of that stuff. Anybody else? Yes, I love that stuff. And if you're new here, we're currently in our Advent series, and uh, this week we're specifically going to focus, as the scripture gave away, on this word joy. This season is supposed to stir up in us the reality of joy, specifically in Jesus, and because of the fact that he's alive, we are supposed to experience this joy. But I don't know about you, but this time of year especially, I get quite distracted with other things. Anybody else? Uh, the Christmas parties, as I mentioned, the purchasing of presents, the orchestrating of family gatherings that, for whatever reason now, include every animal that has been purchased in the family over the past decade. And this has become problematic because animals don't like do passive-aggressive arguments. They eat each other. And it's problematic when all the family comes together, like, bring your dog, and then their dog doesn't leave. It's really sad, right? That hasn't happened to us, but I've heard stories. So we get together. We have these gatherings as a family. And as we leave, I don't usually feel centered and focused on the reality that Jesus has rescued me from sin and that there's joy, right? Rather, I leave those Christmas parties and family gatherings more like a Christmas tree. I'm all dressed up on the outside, but I feel dead on the inside, right? Often I feel, as my children do, that there's the cultural Christmas, which is the exchange of gifts and the whole Santa thing and the holiday season. And then there's the other Christmas that's a little dirtier, right? There's a manger scene. There's animals. There's this girl who's like... I'm a virgin, but she's totally pregnant. That's that story we're supposed to be really excited about. And it's actually an incredibly important story, but it's easy to miss with all the flashy stuff going on around us. That event that we celebrate with all the confusion around it has single-handedly changed our lives and their trajectory forever, for eternity. 
And it also has like this delayed gratification built into it in a way that's not really appealing to my senses. I don't know about you, but it's not always like, yay, I get to serve that Christmas story, right? I want more than that. So in other words, we have the flashy, fun Christmas. And then there's the Christmas I'm supposed to be joyful about, but honestly, sometimes I just can't get there. And I know that I'm not alone. And that chasm has only gotten larger in the last two years, in my opinion. Does anyone remember what life was like in 2019? Anybody? Remember this time, December 2019. Do you remember how naive we were? Anybody remember that? Oh, we had no idea what was happening. Uh, There was a lot of things that, a lot of phrases going on in December of 2019 that I really was uh, quite excited about. There was a lot of people that were like, the best, this is going to be the best year. And then those people that are like, I received a word, my word is clarity. And they loved like receiving that word for 2020 because 2020 vision means perfectly clear. And they're like, you see that, like, do you see this year? We have clarity. They're all, this was not like just a one-person thing. It seemed to be a very uh, universal thing. And it was funny to me how clever everyone thought it was, but boy, did we get some clarity, right? We got some clarity on that reality uh, is really hard, right? That we have way less control than we thought we did. We got clarity on the fact that the world and its systems are not enough for a human soul, We need something more. We need a vision and a power and a life that is beyond us. And today, in my personal opinion, we need biblical joy, the joy that Jesus brought into this world. And so today I want to look at just three things. What is joy? Why do we need joy? And how do we access this joy? So firstly, what is joy? Uh, To start to understand what biblical joy is, I think we need to understand how our culture right now defines joy. In Western countries, specifically Europe, America, uh, we obviously, everybody knows this, we have a deep culture of individualism. So the idea is that if you have your individual freedom, you have the freedom to achieve what you want, you have the freedom to pursue positive feelings, a lot of people would say that that's a kind of joy for me, and I can receive joy from having all those freedoms. Honestly, if we're being objective, that hasn't gotten us very far, right? It's not all that life is cracked up to be. And the truth is we can find all sorts of temporary joy and security in many things that aren't biblical. Am I right? Am I alone on this? Anybody else, right? Some of you find joy and peace in purchasing, right? There's this phenomenon going on right now, and I've identified it with women that are between 20 and age 40 where they say they have to go run an errand. And what that means is they have one important thing to do, but then they go to coffee and then go to Target. I don't know what's happening, right? Like... I have errands to do. I'll be gone for six hours. Oh, okay, whatever. No problem. Like, you have errands, right? So I found out what errands mean, right? So some of you might find joy in nostalgia, right? The Christmas season, the Christmas music. You might find joy in having enough property. That brings you some sort of joy or security. Or maybe it's a prestigious position. Or maybe having, like, a sense of fame, like being noticed by others. Or now you can be what is being called a micro-influencer, You don't have a massive audience, but you can influence some people. You're a micro-influencer. Doesn't that sound degrading? You know, why don't you just be a micro-influencer? Sounds so sad, right? So, but these things, all of them, they have a shelf life. And honestly, they do not sustain us through the whole and the challenges that life truly brings. We as a culture have this pursuit, almost endless pursuit, in my opinion, of happiness. We're always looking and concerned about our happiness, if you don't believe me, think about your weekend, right? 
Let's start with that idea, your weekend, right? Uh, what did you do this weekend? What were the, the goals within your weekend? I bet you, if we're being honest, there was a lens that you looked through once or twice that was like, what's going to make me happy? What's going to bring me joy? And if you have responsibilities, all of a sudden that got further down the list. And then when you realized I have no time, like sometimes there's no room for happiness, right? Sometimes it's responsibility. But we look for and pursue happiness sometimes at the cost of other people. Let me give you an example. A modern phrase that reeks of individualism and entitlement is this wonderful phrase called, I deserve to be happy. You heard that before? I deserve to be happy, which usually is used to make a big life decision and justify being lame and oppressive to other people. Like, this isn't working out for me. I deserve to be happy, right? And in one sense, I totally agree. We all deserve to be happy. Jesus would agree with you on that too. But the methods and mediums that we usually use to find our happiness makes all the difference. For many people, their own personal happiness can often lead to oppressing other people and being oppressive. Biblical happiness is important, but it's not everything. Where your happiness and where our joy comes from is of utmost importance. And I'm going to obviously argue today that that source of joy should and is should be and is Jesus. So with that, what is joy? The Greek word for joy is simple. It's kara. And it's almost exactly what you would expect. It's joy, delight, exhilaration, rejoicing, glee, gladness. In the Greek, simply, that's what the word joy means. Now, the joy that Jesus brings is different, primarily for a few reasons. One, because it's ability to sustain you even and especially in difficult times. More on that later. But Jesus' joy has the ability to sustain you, even and especially in difficult times. Um, As searching for a good definition of biblical joy, one that I stumbled upon that I honestly found was the most helpful and the best, in my personal opinion, was uh, from Dallas Willard. So I'm just going to quote him. I think the quote should be on the screen. And this is what he says biblical joy is. Joy is not the mere sensation of pleasure. It is a pervasive, constant, and unending sense of well-being that flows from vision, peace, righteousness, and hope. True joy is robust, even including outright hilarity. We can experience the joy of being in God's kingdom even in the midst of suffering and loss. Joy is deep and wide and rich, and it's more than just a feeling. We can have joy even when the world around us is falling apart, and especially when the world is falling apart. And that brings us to the text that we read today. Now, we're not going to go through the whole chapter, but I just want to highlight a few verses that are going to help us understand why Jesus specifically and his life do bring us so much joy. So I just want to highlight and zoom in on verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 12, our text today. And it simply says this, I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. With joy, you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. The three phrases I want to highlight, if you're a person that underlines in your Bible or you like highlight the app and uh, highlight it, do that now. But it's this verse two and there's three phrases and that is, I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord himself is my strength and with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The main idea of this passage is that because of Jesus, you can trust your lives and sometimes more importantly, your outcomes, 
to him, and the natural result is joy. Uh, this chapter, chapter one, uh, 12, verse 1, it starts with this phrase, in that day. And back in chapter 11, Isaiah was just painting this really compelling picture of what it was like to walk with Jesus in his rule and reign over all the earth. And then we get to chapter 12, where, where we're at today. And this is a, a chapter of praise from Isaiah where he's just basically singing from the heart all that God has done and uh, just singing about how he is enjoying God's reign in the world. The phrase is that I just wanted to highlight in verse 2. If you notice, there's a theme going through there. And you'll see that and notice that all of these phrases have to do with having an open-handed posture of trust in Jesus for life, provision, well-being, success, and so on. It means, practically, that he is our salvation, the one who saves us and rescues us from our deepest fears. Anybody fearful? You don't have to raise your hand. You're fearful of life? Like some of you are chronically fearful of like crossing the street. Like there's that kind of fear. Like I might die, right? You have that fear. Or like fear of the future, fear of the unknown. Like fears are a very real thing that we deal with. How do we deal with it, right? Well, Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Cars hitting you, uh, fear of the future, the whole thing. Why? Because you're with me. Because he's with you. His birth means that you can suffer loss, trials, and the like, and still be okay. So if you're not convinced, you might ask the next question. If you're a person like, why? Why do we even need this, right? Why do we need joy? Let's answer that question. Now, a dynamic that I don't completely uh, understand, but I have the theology for, is found in James chapter 1. You've heard this verse many times, so I'm just going to read it to you. We don't have time to unpack it. It's really rich, and I encourage you on your own time to look at it more. But it simply says this, consider it pure joy. Like, get really amped. Do you remember the definition of joy? Like, exhilaration, excited. Get excited, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. What? Anybody, like, stop there and go, not excited about that? Anyone? Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Like I said, we don't have time to go in there into that verse. It's very rich. But I want to be super clear. I do not believe, and as I studied the scriptures, I do not believe that God sends hardship your way just so he can get the good stuff out of you. Life is hard all on its own. Jesus, remember, the one that we're celebrating, talking about, he said in his own ministry, John 16, this is what he says. He said, I have said these things to you that you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. And then there's a period after the word tribulation concerning to me. I don't know about you. That's concerning. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus is not sending the hard stuff your way for character formation alone. Life is hard. Life takes no exceptions. At one point or another, life will be hard for you. Jesus knew that. And he accounted for it by his death and his resurrection. He gave us an answer of what to do when life is really, really, really hard. But before I move on, I just want to highlight one word that Jesus used in John 16. It's that word that's underlined there, tribulation. Jesus says, you're going to have tribulation. And when Jesus says, I'm going to have something, I want to know what that something is, positive or negative, right? And he says that we are going to have that. But if you're like me, you might not use the word tribulation all the time. Uh, for example, if someone asks how I'm doing, I'm like, oh, oh man, I've got a lot of tribulation going on right now. I'm straight tribbing. Like, I don't, 
I don't say that. Nobody would know what I mean. It would be very uncomfortable for our social interaction in that moment. Like, we don't use that word, and that's okay. Uh, we don't use that word, but it's an important one. It's an important one to understand because of what it actually means. The Greek word for tribulation is this word thipsis. And when you unpack what thipsis means, it's very eye-opening. And this is what it means. Pressure that constricts or is used of a narrow place. If you're a person that likes visuals, think of a bow constrictor wrapping up its prey. Or think of the scene in Star Wars when they're in that weird liquid stuff and then the walls are just like coming in on them, right? They're going to be crushed alive. Pressure from the outside, something that hems someone in. But it also means, and especially internal pressure, that causes someone to feel confined, restricted, and without options. That's tribulation, thipsis. Now, some of you are experiencing outside pressures, Family conflict, health problems, work problems, don't want to go to Christmas problems. I get it. But then there's others that have seemingly everything put together in the external arena, but you have this internal pressure. You're depressed. You're insecure. Welcome to the club. You're unsure of your worth and value. You feel aimless. You're full of conscious and unconscious anxiety. You are in tribulation. Others don't always know it, and you're not even always honest about it because it feels like you shouldn't make it a big deal. But Jesus actually says it is a big deal, and you need rescuing from it, and you need help. I don't know about you, but I think I want to understand, and we need to understand how Jesus brings joy and peace because in this world, guess what? Jesus said it. We're going to have tribulation, but don't worry. Jesus brings joy. So the question for you and I, how do we access this joy, this beautifully divine, simple to understand hard to actually ingest thing that Jesus came and died for and is to us. Well, if you're new to Riverbend, we keep it pretty simple around here. Our unapologetic goal and vision is a few things. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. It's very simple. So how do we access this joy? Well, if you notice, there's one word that is a through line through every single verse that we study today and every single passage we've looked at. And specifically, that word is trust. So with that word trust in mind, what did Jesus actually do, if we want to do the things Jesus did, what did Jesus actually do to cultivate a spirit of trust in his Father while here on earth? What were those things? How did he grow in trust? Which then leads to this beautiful joy that Jesus actually brings. In my humble opinion, as I look at this, it's through spiritual formation or rather spiritual disciplines. And for those of you who may be new to that kind of language, a spiritual discipline is simply an activity within our power that enables us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. I'm going to say that again. It's activities that you and I choose to do, silence, solitude, Sabbath, reading the scriptures, that are in our power that enable us to accomplish what we cannot do by direct effort. And to that end, there are two spiritual disciplines I want us to stop in or highlight today in this practice of trusting Jesus more and experiencing joy. And I, I want to look at those two today. So the first one is the spiritual discipline of detachment. Now, this discipline may be new for some of you, or you may have never heard of the spiritual discipline of attachment, and that's okay. Um, this is not as popular of a spiritual discipline as, say, silence or sob, uh, sa excuse me, silence. There's a lot of S's. I almost said sexy in the first one I accidentally did. So we're on a better path. Although I just said it now, so it really count cancels it out. Uh, <laughs> silence, solitude, Sabbath, or simplicity. See, I told you. 
Uh, it's one of those spiritual disciplines to be avoided altogether if it, were, if it were up to me. Sincerely, this is an uncomfortable spiritual discipline. But as humans, you and I, if we're being honest and objective, we are attached to certain things that Jesus asks us to release to him. And in our tribulation, if you haven't noticed this, we grasp at certain tools to deal with our fear, with our depression, with our anxiety. Some people grab uh, control, or they decide to go to substances, or they decide to just numb themselves out. We pick a variety of tools that actually do not help us in our circumstances. They don't properly fit the pain that we are going through. And so Jesus invites us, literally, to detach from these false trust structures so we can fully follow him and experience joy. That's what his invitation is. So let me give you the desire of this spiritual discipline. The desire of the spiritual discipline is to nurture the spirit of trust that is attached to God alone. Nothing else. Detachment means simply to replace uh, the attachments that we have to a few things. First are idolatrous relationships and false trust structures, as I mentioned. And secondly, it's to release and detach from self-serving goals and agendas for success, money, power, ego, productivity, even our image, with a wholehearted attachment to trust God alone. Now, if I'm being honest with you, and I'd like to do that, uh, personally, this has been hands down the hardest season of my life, the hardest year. I have experienced the most tribulation ever in this calendar year for lots of different reasons. And this practice has been so helpful in the process of me trusting all of my situation to Jesus and especially its unknown outcomes. And it's been helpful because of what this practice includes. When I sit down and actually go through this practice, this is some of the stuff that we actually do through this practice that brings, again, the transformation. We name and confess attachments that take priority over God. So that means we have to take time and do personal inventory. Where am I attaching to things of the world and replacing the goodness that you have for me, God, with things that are fading and not helpful to my situation or circumstances? Secondly, it looks like me allowing others to lead and win. That's hard. Anybody else? Any, anybody competitive? Like, that's not always easy, right? Take the servant's heart. It's easy. No, it's not. No, it's not. Uh, let go of Im image management. Let go of what the world of social media thinks of you and what your peers think of you. Like, let all that go. Just don't care about that. That's so much easy, easily said uh, than done. It is so challenging. Let go of the notion that your money or your possessions belong to you to make you who you are. In this practice, we also trust our outcomes to God rather than our own capabilities. We, in the most strong, courageous sense, surrender ourselves and outcomes to Jesus. Not giving up, but surrendering what we cannot control over to the God who can control. And lastly, we honor the freedom of others, and we refuse in this, through this practice to manipulate and control in order to get what we want. I mean, seriously, just reading this list is incredibly convicting and humbling, but it produces this in us. This is what we practice when we do this. Now, true joy, true biblical joy like we're talking about, is found on the far side of detachment, relinquishment, and letting go. When we detach from these false trust structures and we relinquish, we don't give up, we intentionally open our hands and say, God, serve, and we let go, we find and experience this joy that Jesus is talking about. It's through many daily, many crucifixions that the life in Jesus is born again in us through these situations. 
As followers, we are called to live as Jesus did. Uh, Jesus said in Mark 8.34, and I love this passage. I'm going to read a paraphrased version because I think it wakes us up to the importance of it. But Jesus said, in speaking of this topic, anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. I love how Jesus just so simply says it. I've got this. Please stop taking control. When my children tell me which way to drive when they've never driven a car in their whole life, no offense to my kids, I love you both, it drives me crazy. It's like, you do, I get to decide this. As an adult, I decide the direction and the route that we take. Please, no opinions on this, right? <laughs> this is where we're going today. It's only through letting go of the control streak that we have and our way of coping that true trust in Jesus is born. We have to let that go. He invites, invites us to trust him with our suffering, with our pain, with our disappointment, and our false way of dealing with our own tribulation. Uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola says, says this, and it's very helpful for making clear what we're talking about here. He says this, Sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Just hold on real quick. He's defining sin as an unwillingness in you and I to trust that what God wants in us is our deepest happiness. Until I am absolutely convinced of this, he says, I will do everything I can to keep my hands on the controls of my life because I think I know better than God what I need for my fulfillment. Can you relate with that at all, anybody? Like how often do we not trust that God has good for us and because of that we're like, I got this. I'm going to take control. I've got my own agenda. I'm going to do my thing because I don't actually trust that you are going to do what's best for me. I don't trust that you have goodness for me, right? We don't trust that he actually can do it or would want to do it for us. And some of us are unable to experience joy because of that. Jesus, he he leads us to trust him. Often we decide to take control over our own lives. And as some of my kids say, we desire to be the boss of our own life, right? You're the boss of your own life. You get to pick, you get to do. But the truth is, we're not designed to be able to handle our own lives We need to be saved from ourselves. We can't do the saving. We need an external force. And that force is not just a force. It's a person of Jesus, and he helps us do that. We need Jesus. Psalm 23 describes what we're talking about. It says, surely goodness and mercy shall chase after me all the days of my life. My question for you, for myself this week, do you believe that? Do you believe that no matter how challenging life is currently, how framed or hemmed in you feel, how much internal pressure or external pressure, that like a greyhound chasing a rabbit around a a track, goodness and mercy are eventually going to get you? Do you believe that? I think that visual is important, that goodness and mercy are going to catch up to you. And maybe it is not now, but God can and will and wants to do that. Do you actually believe that he can? And if you want to experience joy, the joy that Jesus was born for, we have to trust that he wants to do it. Now, when you and I enter into these spiritual disciplines, we're choosing with our minds by the power of the Spirit to enter this practice. And in this case, it's detachment. We choose to detach from our old ways in order to attach to God. And then the second discipline I just want to highlight really quickly is the spiritual discipline of celebration. Now, I don't think we do this well in American culture. I think Americans and and people in the West, we know how to party, which is totally different than celebrating. Biblical celebration is very different. Going to a party and getting wasted, that's not actually celebration. That's just a way to ruin your life and mess up other people's lives. Uh, If you haven't figured that out, free advice for you, okay? 
Now, Elizabeth and I are learning right now, my wife and I are learning, learning to delight in God and his gifts. Or maybe better put, we are learning to look for things to celebrate. Because that's really what it looks like. Because there's a lot of your day, like tomorrow morning, you're probably not like, yes, work, I'm so amped about this, I cannot wait, right? That's not real. What's real is that you're going to have to look for things to celebrate because life does not always constantly give you all the joy that you might want, right? And it can be hard for me to wrap my mind around the fact that we can both suffer and celebrate, but we can, and God calls us to choose to celebrate. He experienced suffering and death, and because of that, we can, ex- we can experience life. Psalm 1611, I'm just going to highlight this really quick, says, uh, because of you, speaking of God here, I know the path of life. As I taste the fullness of joy in your presence, at your right side, I experience divine pleasures forevermore. The spiritual discipline of celebration is defined this way. Celebration is a way that we engage in actions that orient the spirit towards worship, praise, and thanksgiving, delighting in all the attentions and never-changing presence of the Trinity. That's the definition. Celebration is literally anything that turns our attention to the presence of God in each moment. That means you can have a very successful job, That means you can have a very physical uh, demanding job. That means you can be a stay-at-home mom. That means you can be single. That means you can do anything on this earth and you can actually choose to celebrate each moment. In this season, with each present, with each party, with each gathering, we can choose to celebrate or find things to celebrate. And I know Elizabeth and I are looking for these moments. Um, Recently, we picked up this book of liturgy. It's called Every Moment Holy. And uh, there's a specific liturgy marking the Christmas season, which I actually think helps bridge this gap in this idea of two separate Christmases and to help us really honestly celebrate um, what Jesus is talking about here. And so a, a liturgy, if you're new here, a liturgy is simply a thought through prayer or a commitment of something that we desire to be or emulate. That's what a liturgy is. And and my hope right now is to actually just read this over you really quick. I want to read this Christmas liturgy over you. And if it's helpful, you can just focus. You can close your eyes. If you're a person that likes to follow along the screen, you can do that whenever that's up. But I want to read this over you simply because I think this actually has something in it for one or two, if not all of us. So let me read this over you. Christmas liturgy. Though there was no room at the inn to receive you upon your first arrival... We, as a church and as individuals in your home, we would prepare you room here in our hearts and here in our home, Lord Christ. As we decorate and celebrate, we do so to mark the memory of your redemptive movement into our broken world, O God. Our glittering ornaments and Christmas trees, our festive carols, our sumptuous feasts, by these small tokens we affirm that something amazing has actually happened in time and in space, that God, on a particular night, in a particular place, so many years ago, was born to us an infant king, our Prince of Peace. Our wreaths and ribbons and colored lights, Christmas movies, Mariah Carey, whatever you want to enter there. Yes, you like Mariah Carey too. Uh, Giving of gifts, our parties with friends, these have never been ends in of themselves. They are but small ways in which we repeat that sounding joy first proclaimed by angels in the skies near Bethlehem. It's easy to miss, 
but we offer our small tokens to mark the season, not just for good feelings and nostalgia, but we do it to honor and point back to the real blessing that has come through Jesus' birth. The spiritual discipline of, of uh, celebration can, can look as simple as this. This week, put yourself around people that bring you joy and ask God how to celebrate that person and encourage them. It's one way. Another way is you can take time to sit in a comfortable place that you enjoy, that you find rest and peace, to be alone with God. Be still and listen and consider how God is celebrating you. Let him speak life over you. When was the last time you asked God what he thought about you? Like seriously, God, what do you think about me? I promise it's a lot better than you assume. It's a lot better than you probably think of yourself. And we need to be affirmed by the Holy Spirit of God's care and life for us. Or it could look like this past summer did for Elizabeth and I. Uh, We took a picnic down to the Deschutes River. And for the first time in 12 years of being parents, all of our kids could either swim or float with a life vest. And neither of us needed to be in the water to save anyone from drowning. We have arrived. It's done. Life is done. It's This is as good as it will get. Uh, And as we sat on the shore, we had an uninterrupted conversation. We have four kids. Uninterrupted conversation. And I looked over and I said to Elizabeth, just just drink it in. Right? Just drink it in. They're swimming and not dead. This is great. This is great. They're in a river. There's flowing water. We're fine. They're fine. We simply paused for a moment and accepted that moment as a gift. The peace of that moment, the beauty of that moment, and the creation where we live, the calm of that moment. And with what our family's walking through, honestly, that used to seem like a given, and it wasn't. It was a great gift. And so we keep looking for moments to delight in because that's what this practice looks like. It looks like you actively searching for things to celebrate, to identify as good, and then to remind each each other or friends or family to drink it in, to enjoy it, to pause. Sometimes it's literally 10 seconds that you just pause and thank God for his power and provision and care for you. You drink it in. And as you enter into this practice, a few things naturally happen. I'm just going to highlight them quickly. When you celebrate, you begin to learn to live from a mentality of, you learn to live from a mentality of abundance rather than scarcity. You begin to enjoy every good gift as coming from God and not something that's owed. You're just thankful to receive it, right? You're thankful. Uh, we, We take ourselves less seriously. That's an important one. People like you a lot more when you take yourself less seriously. I found this out. Uh, It frees us from the addiction to criticism and negativity. It cultivates a spirit of gladness. When we live in this way, it literally changes our whole countenance, your whole person, when we choose to celebrate in the midst of tribulation. Uh, I want to close with a story that I think helps illustrate this much better than any verse or anything I could share. But... It was Father's Day 2017, and Elizabeth and I and our family, we went over to uh, my parents' house for the afternoon. Uh, It was an afternoon Father's Day lunch that many of people have. My family had put together uh, for my dad. And I remember it was like this warm June day, and uh, everyone was excited to be together and to connect over a good meal and to remember some of the deposits that my dad had put into the children of the family. And and it was off to a great start. Um, but for some reason, everyone was acting very strange as if they all knew something and I didn't. Ever been there? It's very frustrating. And you're like, 
something's going on here. There's like some weird buzz here. What's happening? Then all of a sudden, my mom was asking all the grandkids to go play outside, find something to do so the adults can talk. And I was like, oh my gosh, what family drama are we entering into now? Who did what to what? And like what family text chain didn't respond to who? Whatever. Like what happened? Who sent too many emojis? Who didn't send enough emojis? Like what's the problem? And all of a sudden, uh, the adult children and their spouses and my parents, we all gathered in the living room. And, and my dad had the floor. He had our attention. He wanted to talk to us. And almost like a spotlight had shone on him. He had all of our attention. And he was sitting in the chair that he always occupied when the family was around. And, and on his 34th Father's Day, on his 53rd year of life, he proceeded to tell all of us that he had been diagnosed with cancer. Now, my first thought was like, there's no way. This is like not our story. This is not our family's story. You don't have cancer. That's not how this goes. You live till you're like really old and hard to look at. Like this is how you, this is what happens, dad. But as my dad continued to talk, my, my parents described what his life will most likely look like. And the sad reality sunk in that he had a lot less time than I originally thought. And in one moment we were gathered in a normal dysfunctional, obviously, but joyful gathering as a family. And the next we were arrested by reality and stunned. Like life's real different now. Fast forward to today after several rounds of chemo, radiation, major surgeries, minor surgeries, this bout with death many times. And my dad finds himself laying in a bed in his home on hospice two weeks before Christmas. I wasn't going to cry. Come on, guys. <laughs> now, before you're tempted to feel angry or even bad for me, you have to understand about this topic on joy. Because as my dad's frail, weak, and deteriorating body lays in this oversized bed in my parents' bedroom, he's actually experiencing, like, really deep joy. And if you've ever had the privilege of sitting with someone uh, who knows Jesus, who's teetering this line of heaven and earth, you know that something special is happening or about to happen to that person. In the past six weeks, I've sat with my dad a lot. He lives in Portland, so I've been back and forth a bunch. And uh, I've never seen him so joyful. His life has never, he's never been so joyful. His favorite song to sing is a classic called Rejoice in the Lord Always. And again, I say rejoice. He sings it to a painful amount. He sings it all the time. And he's always telling all the grandkids, just, just remember to love Jesus. And as I sit next to his bed and I hold his hand that seems to be fleeing into oblivion, he reminds me that my life is secure in Jesus. He says, always follow him, son, always. And this is no joke, this last part, it's uncomfortable. But then he begins to speak in tongues over me. I'm like, uh, I don't really know what to do with this. I believe this, dad. Don't know what you're saying, can't interpret it, but I believe there's stuff happening in the heavenlies, right? Like, this is beautiful. And it's both beautiful and uncomfortable all at the same time. And some of you might be asking how, like, how is there joy in this? And honestly, it just comes back to that word, trust. It's because my dad trusts Jesus and he actually believes the best is yet to come. I talked to my mom yesterday. He's like, son, I most likely won't be here for Christmas, but I, I know that it's your, <laughs> it was my birthday. He goes, it was your birthday. I love you, son. I, I probably won't see, but I love you. He's great. He's great. He's doing great. It's so weird how great he's doing. And he's arguably in the worst tribulation of all, yet he's experiencing the most joy. And that gives me hope for us. And the reason is because the majority of us in this room are not on our deathbed. 
we have hardship, we have tribulation. I don't want to downplay or minimize anybody's suffering. But let me just say this. Most of you have more than two weeks to live. And because of that, we have a lot to rejoice in. Even the person that only has a few weeks to live is more happy than most people I've ever experienced in my life. And we have access to that same joy. You and I do. So can I just encourage you something that my dad helped me see really clearly? And he'll be the first to say, he's been a very inconsistent dad in times. So he's not coming from a perfect place, but he said really clearly, trust your times, your outcomes, and your life to him. So can I just pass that to you? Will you please trust your times? Will you trust your outcomes? And will you trust your life to him? Because if you choose to do that, you experience this sustainable joy that can literally beat death. I just want to end our time with a verse that I think sums up everything we've talked about today and says it better than I could in the 35 minutes I've been talking. And it's this, Nehemiah 8.10. Do not be grieved and depressed, for the joy of the Lord is your strength and stronghold. Would you stand? We're going to pray together. As you stand, whatever posture helps you pay attention and focus, if that's closing your eyes, if that's opening your hands, this is a time for us to respond, to sit in a spirit of, of prayer and reflection. If you're distracted by others or phones, can I just encourage you for a moment, just press into what the Spirit might have for you in this moment. It won't be long, but I believe it could be very rich. Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Would you highlight what we need? Would you please acknowledge and see our pain? Help us not feel like you don't see us or our pain or our situation. Would you just see us, please, with the eyes of power that come from a person of Jesus? Please see us. And as you see us, would you please restore us and would you build us up? Would you remove fear? I just even pray right now for some in this room who have been paralyzed by a few different specific fears. I just wanna pray with no fluff, but sincerely in the name and the authority of Jesus that that fear would leave right now in the name and the power and the effective fruit of Jesus's life. Would you please remove the fear that has been gumming some people up in this room, stopping them from moving forward, from being able to live life fully, God. Would you stop it? And at the same time, would you restore to us a spirit of joy, Father? We need that. Would you speak to us where we are at? And would you please just build your church, God? I am so thankful to and humbled and honored to be able to be a part of this community, to be a brother and a sister to these friends. I'm so honored, God. Thank you for this gift. But would you help us? Because we really need your help and we really don't have it all figured out. We're very broken people who need you, Jesus. So we bring our mess to you. We bring our messiness. We bring our very inconsistent desires to you and thank you that you just are gracious to make them whole. And now I ask, Holy Spirit, would you restore, encourage, and rebuild as you desire in the ways that we need.
in this moment in our gathering, we, uh, we respond in a few ways that we do that. Um, is first gonna be through the time of the bread and the cup. And so if you're here up to my left and your right is the the bread and the cup. It's also in the back here. Uh, feel free to grab that during this next song. Uh, a second thing is we pray, we believe in the power and the effectiveness of the Spirit in prayer. And can I just say something? You need prayer. I need prayer. We all need prayer. If we don't admit to ourselves that we need prayer, we often don't ask for prayer. The first step is admitting that you need it. And if you do and you're in that space today, there's no, no pressure, no guilt trip there. But if you need prayer and you need God to move or you desire him to move, would you please uh, just take a minute and you can look back. There's prayer hands, they're neon, you can't miss it. It's a small room. Uh, there's people, brothers and sisters, that would love to pray with you, would love to talk with you, would love to cry with you, would love to just sit with you wherever you are at. And please, I encourage you, take them up on it because every time I go back there, the Spirit does beautiful things. Not because it's magical words, but because when we step out in obedience, He moves. That's how God moves. When we respond, He moves. So we're gonna respond through the time of communion, the time of prayer, and then singing. So during this song, the tables are open. Let's get the bread and cup. Bring it back to your seat. We'll take that together.